Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Back in March of this year, uh, the Pew Research Forum did a study on Americans' attitudes toward the future of our nation. And so they asked adults what they thought America would be like in the year 2050. 2050. And the results were actually pretty alarming. They were pretty surprising. Because what they found was that a majority of Americans are actually pretty hopeless about the future. They're not very optimistic about the year 2050. Many predicted that there would be national debt that will be out of control, that would bankrupt the country. Others predicted that health care would be less affordable. Others feared that the environment would get worse. Others said that there would be a major terrorist attack greater than 9-11 on American soil. Others feared that older people would be out of work due to increased automation and robotics. A lot of people feared the income equality, inequality gap between the rich and the poor uh, and the shrinking middle class and a lower standard of living than previous generations. And so needless to say, this study was kind of depressing because most Americans look towards the future with an attitude of hopelessness. There's not much hope for America. Now, those of us who believe in Jesus, we can get caught up into this worldly way of thinking and we can begin to lose hope on the future. We can begin to think that things are, are hopeless, that there is no hope for our future. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. We celebrate Advent every year here at Emmanuel. And Advent is basically just a Latin word. It means coming. The coming of Christ. We celebrate the birth, the coming of Christ. And so this Christmas, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, each of the four messages over the four Sundays of Advent are going to center upon the theme of the Advent candle. And so the first candle of Advent is what we call the hope candle. It's oftentimes called the prophecy candle as well. And it talks about the hope that we have that a Savior would be born in Bethlehem, the prophecy of hope. And you know, the Bible speaks a lot about Old Testament prophecies of Jesus being born of a virgin coming to the little town of Bethlehem. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. That's an Old Testament prophecy of the coming of Jesus. This was read earlier in our call to worship, but I think it's an important passage of Scripture. Micah 5, 2-4, But you, O Bethlehem, Aphathara, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you, Bethlehem, shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, the king, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. 
Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And so for this morning, we light the first candle of Advent, which is the hope candle. The candle of hope. And so that's really what our message is going to be about this morning is hope. Now, what exactly is hope? Is hope merely wishful thinking? Crossing your fingers and and hoping for the best? You're not really sure the outcome. You just kind of hope it's going to happen. What is hope? So here's the question we're going to ask today. How can we have hope in our present sufferings in a fallen world? How can you have hope today? You may not be suffering. Some of you may be suffering. But the question is, how can we have hope today in a fallen world? If you're not suffering today, you probably will suffer. I'm not sure what everybody's going through that's walked through these doors today, but we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that's marred by sickness, a world that's marred by disease, violence, oppression, materialism, natural disasters, backstabbing, gossip, financial problems, just to name a few of the things that we live with in a fallen world. And so how can we have hope when things begin to go south, when you go through times of suffering, when you look at the world around you and you say, you know, there's not a lot of hope In America, at least that's what most Americans are saying. How can we as God's people have hope this Christmas? Well, Paul gives us the answer. And so this is a two-for-one this morning. For those of you that come on Wednesday nights to my Romans class, this is what we were going to be talking about this past Wednesday, but we didn't have class because of Thanksgiving. So it's a two-for-one. Those of you that come to Wednesday night are going to get this, and then those of you that come to Sunday morning are going to get Romans. So Romans for this morning... Two for one. So, Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 17. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Here we go. It's kind of in the middle of a sentence, but it ties into what Paul's going to say going forward. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For... I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the spirits, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope 
for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So for this morning, I want to focus on three truths that emerge from this passage of Scripture that teach us about hope. Here's truth number one. First of all, the road to future glory is paved with present suffering. Let me say that again. The road to future glory is paved with present suffering. Now, what do I mean by that? Paul says very clearly in verse 17 that we must, as Christians, suffer like Christ. Notice what he says there. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. Provided we suffer with Christ in order that we also may be glorified in him. So Paul says, listen, we're going to suffer with Christ. But we're also going to be glorified like Christ. And Paul's point is, before you experience the glory of the future, you've got to experience the present suffering. That's the order of things. That's how Jesus experienced things. Now, in verse 18, Paul starts with four. He's going to explain to us in this next paragraph that we're going to study this morning what this suffering looks like and how we handle it. And notice what he says. For I consider... This word consider means he's thought deeply about it. He's convinced that this is an absolute truth. I consider. What what does he consider? What, What does Paul consider? That the sufferings of this present time, what I'm going through right now, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Paul says, listen, I want you to make a contrast here. A comparison contrast. What we're going through right now, with all the pain, all the suffering, all the things that we have to deal with right now, it in no way at all compares to what's waiting for us. And actually, Paul says, what's waiting for us is beyond our wildest imaginations. What we are experiencing right now is temporary. It's temporary. It's only going to last for a while compared to eternity. And Paul says, it's not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed. Now, what's the glory that's going to be revealed? Well, it's the coming of Christ on that final day to bring all things to its consummation and to bring us into his presence. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 1.10, when he comes on that day, that's Jesus to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who believed because our testimony to you was believed. When he comes on that day, we're going to marvel. We're going to be so excited that the day of Christ is coming. We're waiting for that day. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, that's Jesus, we shall be like him because we shall see him. As he is, on that day that he appears, we will be like Jesus. We'll see him. That's going to be amazing, Paul says. It's not even, you can't even think about that day when Jesus comes back compared to what you're going through right now. I read this earlier during our time of prayer, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. For this light, momentary affliction 
is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. There's that language again, the comparison. It doesn't even compare. As we look to, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul's saying there's no comparison to what you're going through right now compared to what you're going to receive on that final day. But here's the point. Before that final day, you got to go through what's going on now. And that's what Jesus had to do. We're no better than Jesus. We're no different than Jesus. We're followers of Jesus. We have to, we have to go the path of Jesus. What was the path of Jesus? Well, Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem, and he lived a perfect life that we could never live, but he went to the cross. He suffered on that cross. He bore God's wrath, as we sang earlier, on that cross. They, he cried out, it is finished on that cross. They laid him in a tomb, and then he rose again three days later. And then, after going to the cross and rising again, he ascends back to heaven to be with his heavenly Father. And so, before Jesus experienced the glory of going back to heaven, he had to experience the pain of the cross. That's the order of Christ suffering before glory. In Jesus and Paul says, that's the order for us, suffering and then glory. But you see, here's the problem. A lot of people don't like that order. They want the glory now without having to suffer. And that's the danger of the prosperity gospel. The word faith prosperity gospel that says God Never wants you to be sick. God never wants you to be poor. God never wants you to be in financial problems. If you just name that miracle, if you just um, give your seed to that televangelist, if you just name it, claim it, God wants you to have that breakthrough miracle, and then you won't have any more problems ever again. You'll receive the glory. And if it doesn't come now, it's not the televangelist's fault. It's your fault. You didn't pray hard enough. You didn't give enough. You didn't have enough faith. You see, the prosperity gospel makes a false promise to you. What the prosperity gospel says is what you have coming to you, you get now. And you deserve it now. Now, what's coming to us? Something we can't even imagine. It's beyond all imagination. But that's the future. It hasn't come yet. Prosperity gospel says you get to skip the suffering and have that now. Don't, don't live with the suffering. Have the glory now. They get the order reversed. Jesus didn't get the order reversed. Jesus went through the suffering of the cross and then the glory. John Stott made an interesting observation about our culture. He says, quote, Our groans express both present pain and future longing. Some Christians, however, grin too much. They grin too much. They seem to have no place in their theology for pain, and they groan too little. We need to realize that the order of things is how Jesus ordained them to be. The road to future glory is paved with present suffering. That's the order, whether we like it or not. What we're experiencing now may be painful. It's suffering. There are afflictions. But there's something waiting for us that's beyond our wildest imaginations. So that's truth number one. Whether we like it or not, that's the order. 
you got to suffer with Christ the way he suffered, and then there's a future waiting for us that's going to be glorious. But here's the second truth. This is an interesting truth. Creation itself groans with eager expectation of the future. Now, we see this in verses 19 through 22. Creation itself. Now, we see three phases of how creation groans. Present, past, future. Okay, let's start with the present. Verse 19, the present tense. What's creation doing right now? For the creation waits. Present tense. The creation is waiting right now with eager longing. They're waiting right now. That word waiting with eager longing is a very interesting word in the original language. Picture a little kid at a parade that's trying to tiptoe and and look over the crowd. They're, They're straining their neck to look. That's what that word in the original language means. It means that creation is actually straining its neck to look towards the future with anticipation. Verse 22, what's creation doing right now? For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So creation is groaning, creation is waiting, and it's like labor pains. I don't know what labor pains are like, but I can sure guess that many women in here would give me some good information about what that feels like. What are the labor pains that creation is going through right now? Well, think about all the things you see on a daily basis on the news around the world. Earthquakes, mudslides, tornadoes, tsunamis, volcanoes, all other natural disasters are the labor pains. Now, we know that there's labor pains going on right now, but right before Jesus comes back, I believe there will be an intensification of these labor pains, worldwide types of natural disasters that we've never seen before. But right now, it's just a common occurrence of living in a fallen world. And Jesus addressed this with his disciples. He he talked about how labor pains aren't fun for a woman. Jesus said in John 16, 20 through 21, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. When the labor comes, it's painful. But once the baby's born, you're no longer in labor. You're joyful. But right now, Paul says creation's in this kind of waiting period. It's groaning. It's waiting. It's longing. There's labor pains. That's what's currently going on. So we have to ask the question, okay, why is the creation currently groaning? What happened? What happened to the creation? Well, it takes us back to Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sinned and they brought death and sin and corruption into the world. Look at verse 20. This goes to the past. So what's creation doing right now? It's groaning. It's waiting. It's in labor pains. Why? You have to go back to the past. What happened? Okay, verse 20, for the creation was, past tense, subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. God subjected the creation to futility. That word futility means frustration or emptiness or or vanity. It's, It's very much like Ecclesiastes talking about life under the sun. 
Ecclesiastes 1, 2-4. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does a man gain by all the toil which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The world has fallen. It's corrupt. People are born. They die. There's all this corruption going on in the world that's frustrating. The creation itself is frustrated because God frustrated it. Now, when did that happen? When did God pronounce a curse upon creation? Back after Adam and Eve sinned. Back in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, 17 through 19. And to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. That's the earth. Curses the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. God subjected the creation to futility because of Adam's sin. That's why there's thorns. That's why there's thistles. That's why farming is difficult. That's why the earth has labor pains. That's why there's a curse on creation itself because of Adam and Eve's sin. Okay, so past tense, God pronounced a curse on creation. Present tense, creation is experiencing that suffering, that groaning, that those those labor pains. Okay, future, what's the creation itself waiting for in the future? What's the creation waiting for? What's the creation straining its neck and waiting for? If you think about the metaphor that Paul is using here. Well, verse 21. That the creation itself will be, okay, here's the future, will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What does this mean? The Bible teaches that the earth will not be destroyed but will be renewed on that final day. The creation that was subject to the curse will no longer be in bondage. It will no longer have the birth pains. There will no longer be natural disasters. There will no longer be tornadoes or volcanoes or earthquakes all over the world. There will be no sickness or death or disease. There will be a renewing of all things. Creation itself will be set free. Jesus talked about this setting free of creation in Matthew 19, 28. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, in the new world, in the new world, the new heavens and the new earth, when the Son of Man comes, he will sit on his glorious throne. You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus talks about a new created order, the new world. Peter says it this way in 2 Peter 3.13, But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Then, of course, Revelation 21, 1-5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So Paul has said, Listen, we are going to presently suffer before future glory. It's just the order of how God has ordained it. We can't get out of it. It's what Jesus experienced. And number two, creation itself. Like the created order itself is, is groaning in labor pains. There's volcanoes and there's disease and, there's, and we live in a fallen world and, and you can just feel the earth itself trembling, waiting for that final day when it's renewed. But then Paul makes it very personal. And here's the third truth. Paul says, okay, that's what happens with creation. But here's the main truth I want you to understand. Christians also groan with eager expectation of the future. Not only does creation groan, but we groan as we wait. This is in verses 23 through 25. What's the dilemma for us? I don't know if you know this. We as Christians live in the already not yet. We live in the already, not yet. Are you already saved? Yes. Are you in heaven yet? No. We live in the tension of the already, not yet, meaning that we've been saved by grace, but we don't have our future home in heaven yet. We still have to live here on this earth. And Paul says there, by grace, we've been given the Holy Spirit as a first fruit. Look at verse 23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves. Okay, he's shifting to us. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. What does it mean that we have the first fruits of the Spirit? It means that God has given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment to guarantee that we get heaven. So it's the already, not yet. We, We already have assurance of heaven because the Holy Spirit's living in us, but we don't have heaven yet. The Holy Spirit's the down payment, He's the guarantee, He's the seal. 2 Corinthians 1, 21-22. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put a seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. A guarantee of what? That we'll reach heaven. The new heavens and the new earth that's waiting for us. He's the guarantee. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We're a new creation right now, but we don't have our new bodies yet. The already, not yet, tension. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Okay, here's the problem. Every single one of us here who's a believer in Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We've been saved by grace. We've been renewed. We have new life in Christ, but we still walk around in a physical body in a fallen world, and we don't have that promise of heaven yet. And our bodies tend to wear down. And what do we do? Notice what Paul says there in verse 23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. What do we do? We groan inwardly. 
we groan inwardly. We sigh. We get frustrated with living in a fallen world. If you've just had one of those days where you, you, get, you lay your head on your pillow at night and you said, I've been through so much junk today. I just wish Jesus would come back now. I wish I could just be taken out of this world now. My body hurts. My mind hurts. Everything around me is hurting. I'm just frustrated. I'm tired. I'm sighing. I'm groaning. I have been saved, praise the Lord, but I'm not in heaven yet where my future home awaits. And so I live now in this fallen world, and it just stinks. I groan. Paul talks about this tension in 2 Corinthians 5, 2 through 4. Paul says, for in this tent we groan. Okay, this tent, this body. In this body that you're carrying around with you, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, longing to be in heaven. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we're still in this tent, while we're in this body on this earth, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. We walk around in these fallen bodies on this fallen earth with birth pains, with pain, suffering, and we groan, we sigh, we get tired, we get frustrated, we long, we wait for what's coming to us. And what does Paul say is coming to us? What are we waiting for? Well, he answers the question for us. What are we waiting for? At the end of verse 23, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What are we waiting for? That final day when we get a new body, a glorified body, a resurrected body, a body that's like Jesus when he rose from the grave, a resurrected body. Paul says it this way, what it means to have a redempted, a redeemed body. First Corinthians 15, 51 through 52, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. You waiting for that day? Changed in an instant. This body will be changed, renewed, resurrected glorified, changed. Philippians 3, 20-21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Praise the Lord, on that final day, Jesus is going to transform these earthly, disease-ridden, pimply, scaly, gross, fading, frail, whatever else adjective you want to use about your body, he's going to change it to be like his glorious body. But that's not happened yet. We live in the tension of the already, not yet. What's the already? We've been saved. What's the already? We got the Holy Spirit. What's the already? We got, we got a promise What's the not yet? Hadn't happened yet. We're not there yet. We can't 
see it. You can't see your future resurrection. What do most of us see? What's right in front of us. And what's usually right in front of us? Our pain, our suffering, our trials, our heartache, the tribulations that come from living in a cursed world. That's what we tend to see. But what does Paul say? Verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Did you catch Paul? Hope is really not in what you see, but hope's in what you don't see. The writer of Hebrews says it this way in, in Hebrews 11.1. 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Do you realize that hope, by its very definition, means that there is going to be patient waiting? Hope and patience go hand in hand. Waiting for something you can't see that hasn't happened yet. Now, what's going to happen? The curse is going to be reversed. We're going to be in the new heavens and the new earth. There'll be no more curse on the creation. Revelation 22.3 tells us that. No longer will there be anything accursed in the new heavens and the new earth. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. Now, what's our problem? What do we want now? We want to experience that future glory now. We don't like to wait. We don't like to be patient. In verse 25, Paul ties together waiting with patience. Look at verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, okay, what's that we don't see? the resurrection of our bodies, that future glorious day when Christ comes back. We don't see that, but we hope for it. What does he say there? We wait for it with patience. We wait, which means to eagerly wait, to to long for it. But how do we wait with it? We wait with patience. That word patience means to bear up under intense suffering, to endure, to persevere, to have endurance. So to have true biblical hope, true biblical hope, means that we wait eagerly for our future that we can't see, yet at the same time we have to endure the pressures of the present. And all throughout the Bible, Paul links hope with suffering and hope with waiting and hope with patience. Romans 5, 2 through 3. Through him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Okay, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, not only we hope in the glory of God, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. We hope, but we suffer. 2 Thessalonians 1.4, Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and all your persecutions and all the afflictions that you're enduring. You have to endure afflictions. You have to endure suffering, persecutions. Hebrews 10.36, For you have need of endurance. Why? So that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. 
The key word in this entire passage is hope. But look back at verse 20. It seems hopeless that God subjected the entire creation to futility. God pronounced a curse on creation. But notice how verse 20 ends. In hope. Okay, when God pronounced a curse back on creation in Genesis 3, what else did he promise? What was the hope that came in Genesis 3.15? There's hope right before the cursing of the entire creation. In Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What in the world is this? Genesis 3.15 is the first announcement of Jesus, the Messiah, coming who would come and be born of a woman and crush Satan's head. So all the way back when God pronounced a curse upon creation, there was hope that one day Jesus would come and he would reverse the curse by crushing Satan's head. And the coming of Christ at Christmas means that there's hope that the curse will be taken away by Jesus. We sing it every year. Verse 3 of Joy to the World. You may just kind of pass by the lyrics. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. The curse has infected the entire world, but back here in Genesis 3.15, God promised a coming king who would destroy the devil, reverse the curse, and bring joy to the world through salvation. So our hope is not a vain hope. Our hope is not empty hope. Our hope is not cross your fingers wishful thinking. Peter says it this way, 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice the word living hope. We have a living hope, not a dead hope, a living hope. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. It's a hope that waits patiently for that final resurrection and our new bodies but here here's two extremes that happen here's two extremes i've seen us as christians do when it comes to hope when it comes to waiting here's extreme number one some believers are so eager for christ's return that they they lose that ability to wait patiently and so they want everything now and they try to force god's hand by bringing the glory now again it's the prosperity gospel of saying i don't want to wait for that future glory god promises that to me now so god you've got to bless me now with all the blessings that are waiting for me on that future day now does god promise to bless you on that future day with all those blessings yes but we have to wait for them some people say god i don't want to wait i want it now And if I suffer, that's unfair. You promised me my miracle, my glory. Now give it to me. That's one extreme. People don't wait patiently. They want the glory now. But on the other hand, there's another extreme. Some Christians get so bogged down in their pain and their suffering and their affliction that they forget to wait patiently and they lose 
all they see is their present suffering. They don't think about the future glory. All they see is what's in front of them. And it, and it bothers them. And they're, they're, they, they're so wrapped up in their current pain that they don't ever focus on what God has promised to them. They don't realize that it's a light momentary affliction. It's momentary. So there's a balance here. You can hope negatively, I guess, in two different ways. Number one, you can be bitter and anger and frustrated because God hasn't taken your suffering away and you have to wait for it. Or you can live with wishful thinking of the prosperity gospel, thinking that God owes it to you now and so he better give you your blessing now. Both of those aren't biblical answers to hope. The biblical answer is to hope in God with both eager expectation of that final day at the same time with patience and endurance. Because we don't know when that day is going to be. But what's the one thing we do know? Who it is that's made the promise to us. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. And the psalmist here tells us about hope. And I'm sure many of you can relate to Psalm 42. This is a famous psalm that many people go to when they're depressed. It's a psalm that many people go to when they're discouraged, when they feel low, when they feel the afflictions of the world. When, when you're groaning, when you're groaning inwardly, a lot of people go to Psalm 42 when they're groaning. And that's where I want us to go today. Listen to what the psalmist says. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands a steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Oftentimes we're like the psalmist, we're cast down. We're depressed. It feels like the waves are coming and crashing over us. And we wonder, where's God? I groan. I hurt. I suffer. Where's God? My soul is so cast down. And what does the psalmist say? Don't look at your situations and don't look inside yourself. Look outside of yourself and hope in God. 
We need to remember that what we're going through right now, right now, and some of you may be going through things I can't even imagine, but what we're going through right now does not even come close to comparing what God has prepared for us on that final day. And until that final day, we hope. Not a dead hope, a living hope. So where is your heart this first Christmas uh, this first Sunday of Advent, this Christmas, when we light the hope candle. And let's just be like the psalmist. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, what better time than to celebrate the future, but also hope in the present that Jesus has promised you something beyond your wildest imaginations. The redemption of your bodies, all things new, no more pain or suffering, a new heaven and a new earth prepared for us. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning with longing, expectation, and hope. Father, we come before you this morning. And we may be going through things that are painful, things that are uncomfortable. We live in a fallen world where there is all types of stuff around us drag us down. There may be some in this room that are suffering in in ways unimaginable. Physically, relationally, financially. And Lord, it's, it's easy for me to stand up here and say, just hope in God. But Lord, we need to realize and have faith that what we're going through right now does not even compare to anything you've prepared for us. Father, it's okay for us to groan. We can groan, we can cry, we can sigh, but we need to also hope in you. And so as we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, let it be a day of hope. Let us not be like the majority of Americans that see no hope for the future. Let us be a people that are unlike the culture around us and have amazing hope because of the future that you promised for us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're the down payment of that final day. Jesus, thank you that you went through the cross and suffered first and then went to glory. And that's our path as well, to suffer first and then go to glory. But we have the promise that it's waiting for us. Help us by faith this morning, Jesus, have hope in what you promised.